We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. I'm your host, Alex Golden. I'm joined today by, of course, Michael Fachi. And we're going to talk about the Pacers season coming to an end. Fachi, talk to me about Sunday. How are we feeling? Alex, I'm going to be honest. I think I took this win harder than I took any loss all season. And I never thought I would say that. I was over the top dramatic yesterday to the point where you know, my, my wife was really giving me the business because she was like, you're mad that the Pacers won. And I, I tried to, you know, you try and do your best to explain, well, well, babe, we might have, you know, slid down from the, the six best odds to eighth. And then we might have lost the Rockets 32nd overall pick in the process. And it was a lot trying to explain to her. But there was just so much going on yesterday and everybody else played the part, except for, unfortunately, the Indiana Pacers. Yeah, well, thankfully the Mavericks didn't play their part. Well, I guess they did play their part, and the Spurs got the victory. So <laughs> that does help. So the Pacers um, are, are looking at the Spurs and the Rockets. They are tied for the same record, Fachi. So th- the way this all works, I, I know it can be a little bit confusing. So how they determine this kind of stuff, based on my understanding, now if I'm wrong, I will come back and tell you I'm wrong. But based on how I understand this, the Pacers and the Wizards have the same record. They will mm-hmm. share the same exact lottery odds for the draft lottery, which is in May. 
However, they will do coin flips within the next week or so to determine the uh, the standings. So even though they have the same record, if we win the coin flip, we're the seventh pick. If the Wizards win it, they're the seventh pick, we're the eighth pick. So we want to win that coin flip. We'll have the same odds. But let's say two teams behind us jump us, we would fall back two spots and be nine instead of ten. So that's how that all works out. And then for second-round picks, where this is where it's going to be interesting, the Spurs and the Rockets tied for the second-worst record in the NBA. So they will do a coin flip for that to see who's two and who's three when it comes to the draft and that kind of thing. So they're still going to share the same amount of odds. But you want the Spurs to win the coin flip and have the higher pick for the first round because in the second round, it's flipped. So that means the Rockets would end up with the 32nd pick, which would go to the Pacers. So you're rooting for the Spurs to win the coin flip when they do that. So the Spurs would have the higher odds. They'd be the two the two spot, and the Rockets would be three for the first round, but then it flips in the second round. Is that confusing enough, or does that make sense? No, it makes sense, but yes, there's a lot going on. And I know that we've talked about it before. It's got to come down to a better process than a coin flip, but that's where we're at. And, you know, in, in reality, yeah, you know, you're thinking, oh, okay, like I guess not that much changed by the Pacers winning, but – We'll see what happens. But here is the interesting thing about why you want to win this. A, to get a better pick. But, Alex, in the last four years, the team slotted to pick seventh with the seventh best odds, however you want to phrase it, has moved up to the top four in the last four drafts. Mm -hmm. How crazy is that? Yeah, it's pretty wild. I think last year, was it the Kings that were seventh? It was, and they slid, they moved up to fourth. Yeah. And who else was? I thought they Previously, were six. So the they, the seventh uh, worst record ha- has done that. So okay. uh, I guess they probably lost a coin flip or whatever and then ended up moving up. Um, so the team with the seventh worst record has moved into the top four each of the last four years. So it was the Kings. Previously, it was the Raptors. Before that, it was the Bulls. And before that, the Pelicans moved from seven to one. To draft Zion Williamson to play 20 yep. games a season. Exactly. Yeah, just a part-timer. But, you know, look, hey, at this point, I mean, it feels like that seventh worst record. I don't know. Lucky number seven, Jermaine O'Neal. You could be on our side here. And that's what I'm really hoping for. So in a moment, I just felt like the Pacers had slid out from the seventh spot. And by potentially losing the Rockets pick, it just felt like a tough pill to swallow on the last game of the season. However, Got to wait until that coin flip to determine what's next. I believe right. that coin flip will take place next week after, you know, they've obviously gone through the play-in scenarios and all, all of that stuff. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I don't have a specific date on that, but I think that's interesting. And I've had people say, quit freaking out. The lottery doesn't matter that much. We found Nimhard in the second round, you know, stuff like that. And then I have some people say, why are we carrying – why do we care about that second-round pick with the Rockets? Because we can take who we want with the Cavs and the Celtics pick. It's like – Pump your brakes for a second. The reason that we're frustrated with the whole process is, number one, you want to give yourself the best chance to move up in the draft. So even if they stay tied at six with Orlando and they ended up falling back to the seven and losing a coin flip with Orlando, you still give yourself the best lottery odds. That's number one. Number Mm -hmm. two, you want as many assets as possible. That 30-second pick is a huge asset. The thing with that is there's no guaranteed contracts with – I guess yeah, that's right. You you make your own contract up when you mm-hmm. are drafted in the second round. It's not like this 
first round structure of how you have your two years plus your two year option. You pick that up, then you hit restrict. Like it's not like that. So that's why we saw you can kind of make that pick whatever contract you want to give it. So that that's the benefit of the second round pick. So not only is that the benefit, but it's also a benefit to just have more assets to play with if you're trying to make a move. So that is why it's important. So if you don't understand that con- like that concept of it, like that's why a lot of Pacer fans were frustrated yesterday because, look, we're not going to come out and say we're tanking. Players are not going to tank. And, I, and I've heard people say this to me before, like, what, why do you think the, the Pacers are, you know, the Pacers aren't trying to tank because if they, you know, if they were, they wouldn't be playing as hard as they are. Just stop for a second. Players do not tank, Fachi, okay? They do not. That's not how you go about your business, okay? Look at what the Portland Trailblazers did. They set like 10 guys and put them on the injury report and then basically just brought up all these other people on the roster. 10-day contracts, whatever they could find to fill a roster out that was not going to be as competitive to lose games. Now, I understand the Pacers set out Halliburton. They set out Turner. They ended up sitting out TJ McConnell and Jalen Smith for the last two games, as well as Chris Duarte and Kendall Brown was out. So you had six guys out. And, you know, they got lucky because they hit a lot of threes in New York. So I'm a just lot saying. of threes. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, anybody that says, well, the players clearly aren't tanking. Well, no, they never do. The players will never tank. The coach will sit players based on what the front office and them talk about. <laughs> and that's how you go about it. But I, I mean, the fact that I have to explain this to people that don't understand like the, the process of tanking, it's like the players are never going to just go out there and purposely lose a game because they're playing for number one themselves, their future contracts, and they don't want to make the team look bad by not trying. I mean, if, if players literally went out there with respect making bad turnovers on purpose, like, are you, are you kidding me? Like they'd be under investigation by the league. So it's just silly. I mean, just you have to realize when, when teams tank, they do everything to mess with their roster to put it at the worst, you know, give it the worst advantage moving forward. They basically just want them to be at a disadvantage so they cannot win the game. Yeah. I mean, the Pacers did not, none, none of these players cared about what draft pick. They, they absolutely do not. Everyone looks at this as an opportunity to further showcase yourself. A guy like O'Shea Brissett, he's heading into free agency. Dude got up 15 shots yesterday. You know, he's trying to win. I mean, Guys like Benedict Matherin, last game of the season, Matherin was going all out. I think at one point, I want to say he was 5 for 5. I know he finished 6 of 13, but 26 points. Nimhart, 19 points, 9 assists. I mean, those are two guys, two very talented rookies that could very well be on the all-rookie first team and second team. They were giving it their all. The one thing that, you know, for Buddy Heald, I mean, Buddy, that's a guy that, you know, you can't get out of the game. So he obviously wanted to play this game, and it made a big difference. Put one of the other guys... George Hill. Mm. I mean, George Hill doesn't have any guaranteed money on, on his contract. He doesn't know what his situation will be. He left it all on the line yesterday. 17 points. I mean, that was one of those things where George Hill was one of the big differences in the game. Overall, the Pacers, like you mentioned, from three, they could not miss. They, they shot 55% from three. Technically, I guess 56% if you can round it off. 19 of 34. Alex, what was crazy was they got to the line 38 times. Where yeah. was that all season? I mean... <laughs> Nearly 40 free throw attempts. It was just the Pacers came back from being down 16 points. They gave the Knicks their all. And here's where I feel guilty. Alex, at one point I really debated going to this game. The Pacers had not won with me in attendance. And I sat it out. And you know what? The boys got to win. So, um, oh you know, my gosh. Bit, so you didn't get a little bit. 
I was torn on that because I knew none of the none of the star players were going to be playing. Am I really going to pay, you know, top Madison Square Garden prices for this game? And in the end, maybe if I was there, maybe they would have lost. So uh, I got some slack on that from, on Twitter. But at, at the same point, man, I, I know there were some fans saying, like, I'll never root for this team to, to lose. And I don't blame you guys. I don't. Sometimes we get, you know, caught in the middle of, wanting to have that brighter future and, you know, and, and not really focusing on right now. But for some of these young guys, hey, they, they fought, they battled. And for that, I can't wait for next year when we do want to win every game and compete for it all because I still feel guilty rooting for a loss at times. And then when you win, being upset about it. Yeah, I mean, the games are so miserable to watch the last two to three weeks that at this point you're just like what are we doing just lose the game like exactly position yourself for a better draft pick and, and i understand that like it's not the great way to go about it but with that being said fachi like you mentioned there's still hope the seventh pick has the seventh spot has always moved up they're tied for seventh now so let's just cross our fingers maybe they maybe they saw that and felt hey let's try to get to seven okay and they probably thought washington will beat houston right i mean they just beat Miami on Friday night, so why would they try to why would they try to lose a game? So I think they were maybe playing like, okay, maybe we can get the seventh spot by itself. Wizards stay at eight, Rockets lose, we get their pick. Like, you know, that's what they're probably hoping for. It just didn't play out that probably. way. And it kind of went the same way last year with the Cavaliers. You know, um, I remember watching the playing games, being the biggest Cavaliers fan of my life because oh, I wanted yeah. them to make the playoffs. And well, look what that did. So you know, they lost both games, and here we are without that pick, and <laughs> it got put into this year's draft, and it's going to be later than it would have been then. So that that's all that's all it is, Flash. But I think moving forward, though, like you said, we're really excited about the future of this team, and I think in about six months when the season's back, we're watching preseason basketball, we're going to be talking ourselves into this team being improved once again from the record they had this season to, to next year. I think so, because – if guys had not been held out or if maybe some guys had, had played in games where he wanted them to rest a little bit, you could make a great argument. This is a 500 team, and that is not what anyone expected this season. And when the Pacers were projected to win 23 games, you're talking about Pacers almost had a chance to basically, you know, kind of almost double the wins. I'm not going to pack them at 46, but I felt like if everybody had, you know, fully played, maybe Halliburton doesn't go down that, this is a team that is 500, and I think that would have blown the minds of some people given how young this team was. So there is so much to be excited about that in the end, this team was too talented to be, you know, slumming in the bottom four or five of the league. No, and I and I think the growth that we saw, and like you said, if Halliburton doesn't go down in January, it's a playoff team. Really you're is. probably looking at the plan. So, you know, yeah. I think everything that they, they come out and say their message, the front office does before the season starts to give you guys a heads up of what's to come, right? Then after that, they let the thing, they let the season play out how it does. And the Pacers were overachieving. So at this point, they're like, we're not going to just like make all these drastic moves to tank the team. We have got a great environment, great culture. We're really building on something. Ride it out, see what happens. When Halliburton went down at the injury and we lost a ton of games, I think personally, that's when they decided, okay. We probably know that we're not going to be in the playoffs. And I think personally, that's why Kevin Pritchard said what he said about being in the eighth through 10th spot and getting beat mm -hmm. in the first round. 
by a one seed. Like we're not ready yet. I think that's what he was trying to tell people because there was so much at stake with, you know, getting a higher pick and a really loaded draft, especially in the, in the top 10. So that is why I think they pivoted this way and, and went this route. And, you know, I think for the betterment of the future, it makes more sense to give yourself the best possible pick you can get and and continue to grow upon what you learned this season and aim for the playoffs once again next year. I'm completely on board, and I stand by, you know, the direction of the front office because when you look at this, I mean, the Bulls are one of the hottest teams in, in, in the second half. You know, the Hawks, they, they have a team that, that definitely underperformed, but they're good on paper. And then you still look at, like, the Heat had championship aspirations, and to – to even be in the same category as some of those teams feels a little bit weird because their expectations were far more than the Pacers. I still don't think any of those teams stand a chance against Milwaukee in round one <laughs> or Boston and, and anything of the sort. It's just not going to happen. And I, I feel better knowing that, hey, look, you know what? If one of the worst case scenarios is potentially picking eighth or so, then give me that all day over playing arguably one or two meaningful play-in games because a top 10 pick is something that we all would have killed for a few years ago because that was something that you and I hadn't even really, outside of picking 10th, hadn't really seen, you know, a top 10 pick in pretty much our lifetime at that point, like a single-digit pick. So this could still be a very, very good pick for the Pacers. And who knows? We've talked about it before. At some point, the basketball gods need to shine upon us and throw us one. And this, it could be the year. You know me. I love a good mystery box. Anything could happen with, with those odds in the lottery. We just got to stay pat and hope for the best. No, I completely agree. And like you said, Fachi, all season long, we got two top 10 lottery picks this year. Okay. Yep. We got Ben Mather in. And in the eyes of Rick Carlisle, we got Andrew Nimhart who's a top 10 pick in this draft. If you did a redraft on Oopsipe. So, you know. <laughs> That was that's always fun, but I mean, you think mm-hmm. about it. You, you've had a lottery pick the last two seasons. Chris Duarte was pick thirteen, Matherin at six. Now you're around seven. Do you jump up to the top three? Do you win the whole thing? Do you fall back to nine? Do you fall back to ten? Highly doubt we're going to fall out of the top ten. So you're going to have two top ten picks in the last two years, but you're going to have two, three lottery picks in the last three years, which is really cool. So it's not something we're used to seeing with the Pacers, but I think it was a smart move by the front office to go this direction and really just embrace what is a much-needed rebuild. So let's go ahead and answer a few questions about the season as we kind of put a bow on this year. I know we're going to be talking a ton of off-season stuff, and I'm sure everybody's ready for that. So we're going to slowly dive into it because I want to let this marinate for a little bit and, and really get my thoughts on things and maybe see how some of these guys play in the playoffs. It could be free agents and, and that kind of stuff because there's going to be so much Fachi that changes from now till July. So it's silly to get too ahead of ourselves. I think we should really focus on the draft and other stuff like that. But I think looking at the season as a whole, Fachi, who is the most impressive player to you? It's got to be Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, Halliburton took a, not a step forward. He took a leap forward. I mean, we talked about it before. First guy ever, 20 points per game, 10 assists, 40% from three. I mean, he he's in a, a class alone. Alex, this guy nearly added to it by almost shooting 50% from the field. Finished season shooting 49%. He was an all-star in year three at just 23 years old. He blew me away this year. Mm, yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to say, not say Tyrese Halliburton because of the step that he took. But 
I will say this, Vachi. It's it's really interesting to me to look because I think we all would have projected Tyrese having a breakout year or something similar to what he had. Maybe not as as much as he did, but I, I think honestly the most impressive to me has to be Miles Turner. Um expectations coming into this season felt like he was gonna be on the trade block, right? We thought he was gonna be out of here. The guy played phenomenal this season, and I think, you know really changed our opinions on him. He jumped from 12.9 points a game last year to 18 points. The rebounds, they did jump a little bit, but only by 0.4 tenths of a of a of a of, a, of one, so I guess you should say 7.5. <laughs> <laughs> trying to say that the right way. He, it, blocks was 2.3, we had 2.8 last year. So, not as career high in blocks, but the shooting percentages is where things really got better for him. He shot 64% Fachi from 2 which is huge. And he had his best effective field goal percentage at 61%. Shot 37% from three. That's the best since he shot 38% back in 18-19. But the big difference here, Fachi, only 2.5 attempts then, 4.0 attempts this season. So, you know, I think that was huge for him as well. And I just feel like jumping from being a 12.9 score that really didn't have a role to 18 points a game, being more involved in the offense, I, I think – you know, his minutes were not that high. Still played just about 30 minutes a game. He just showed, Foch, that that he is ready to take on a bigger role. And I think that the way that Carlisle plays his system is something huge to continue to to see how Miles fits into it because Miles does really fit what style they want to play. And then lastly here, I'll say for Miles, 4.5 free throw attempts per game, the most of his entire career. So, that means he was a little bit more physical and play with more force, which is a key word that Carlisle likes to say. Then he's played probably his entire career, and I think he's only going to get better because, remember, at the end of the day, he's still only 27 years old. So the best days are ahead of him. Yeah, I mean, Turner took a solid, solid step forward, and I do think he could continue to get better from here. We always wondered, hey, how would he be with Halliburton? Uh, and he showed that there is a next level to his game. So I think you can't go wrong with either pick, but it shows that this team wasn't just about one player. I'm sure there's probably even a percentage of Pacer fans that could even say Benedict Mather. Look what he did as a rookie. But that shows just how promising this Pacers team is. Um, but Alf, what was the next question that you had? Yeah, so I, I gave Fachi a list of questions. I sent it to him on a text, and I didn't come up with answers either. It was just kind of like um, – my, my first initial thought was like, I'm just going to go with that instead of writing stuff down. So the next one is, instead of most impressive, who is the biggest disappointment this season? Got to be Chris Duarte. Look, he was just injury plagued. I, I felt that at times lost his spot in the rotation. And I felt like coming off of such a promising rookie year, I thought this would have been someone that took a step forward, like maybe average like 15 points per game or, you know, could have really been pushing to be a starter. But honestly, he pretty much struggled all season. And now at this point, I do have concerns if he could stay healthy. But also, I just felt like he didn't see the ball go in enough this year. And and it was a really tough sophomore year for Duarte. Yeah, I mean, I think that probably be the most popular pick if you had to put that out there. And just to be different, I'm going to go with Jalen Smith. Okay, um, that's fair. That's fair. You know, I, I, I think that Chris Duarte... Well, I don't really love the future for him on this team. I think that's going to be hard to see moving forward where he fits in. I can make the same case for Jalen Smith. Easily. And even though I've been a fan of how he's played of late, he started out as a starter and basically found himself 
as like the fourth center on the team when Daniel Tice mm-hmm. was healthy. So, you know, he kind of fell way out of the rotation. I think when Duarte was healthy, maybe there was one or two games where he wasn't in the game when he was healthy. But really the reason Duarte didn't play a lot was because of his health. But if you just look at the small sample size of 22 games last year for Jalen Smith through the 68 games that he played this year, he played six less minutes. He took two less shots. His field goal percentage dropped from 53% to 47%. His three-point percentage dropped from 37% to 28%. Off a cliff. Yeah, his two-point percentage was still, I mean, it was still pretty good. He ended up having 59% from two, but shot 63% from two when he was with the Pacers last year. Uh, Free throw percentage was the exact same, 76%. Rebounds, he went down by two rebounds per game, and he went down from 13.4 points to 9.4. So I, I know that he had a really weird role. And it was a tough year for him. But I think, you know, there's still good basketball left in Jalen Smith. I think it's still going to be a fine role player no matter where he goes, if he's here on the Pacers or somewhere else. But going from a starter to to losing your starting spot and being out of the rotation completely, to me, that was a bit of a disappointment considering he was one of our only offseason acquisitions. Jalen Smith managed to kind of, those numbers that you went through, he kind of salvaged those uh, at the end of the season because they were rough. They were rough for a while. And I just felt like, when you when you announce someone as the starter, this is the starting four and all that, and then he's out of the rotation completely. I mean, it's a it's a drop off that no one expected. So I think both players, Jalen Smith, and Chris Duarte, had um, they, they they easily could be in that spot for most disappointing. They both have quite the case, and that's not what you the, the, the debate that you want to have is. Hey, who was more disappointing here or there? But <laughs> that one could really be a toss up. Yeah, it's tough. And I mean, it's like you're not trying to knock anybody, but you're just being exactly. honest. So I'm just got to call it like it is. Yeah. So now, now this question, I think, is an interesting one, too, because I said, who is the player you're most uncertain about their future with the Pacers for next season? Going Chris Duarte. Again, I, I think for Jalen Smith, I think, hey, you know what? You could probably find a role from Duarte. It's it's crowded and it's really up in the air. I, I think that he just struggled mightily. And if you are to give him the playing time that he needs, I feel like it does take away from, you know, a Benedict Matherin and Andrew Nemhard, even a, a Buddy Heald who still has a year left on the deal. So I think that he's likely packaged in an offseason, Duarte that is. But, uh, you know, who knows uh, if, what that deal might be because his value is at an all-time low. So that's my pick for this one. Yeah, I think that I'm kind of certain that Duarte probably won't be here. I think I, I feel more confident in saying that than I do the player you just mentioned, Buddy Heald. I think Buddy Heald's future with the Pacers is very uncertain. Um, we saw him go to the bench, so Mather get those starts the last nine games, whatever it was of the season. I can't even remember. I think it was the last nine. And Buddy Heald only played in, I believe, seven of those. So, because he was out for two of them with the sickness. So, I think Buddy Hill really proved his value to this team this year, Fachi. And I think that shooting 42.5%, 43% from three is just incredible. I, he broke the Pacers record for most threes, I think, this season, mm-hmm. uh, made a regular season. And I, what did he also do career-wise? I, there was something that they posted, and I forget what it was now. Uh, most three-pointers mm-hmm. made in his career or something like that with the Pacers this year, if that's yeah, right. I, I think it was something like it that. It was probably the most three-pointers for him in any season, I believe. Yeah, maybe he, that's what yeah, it was. Yeah, he had 282 
2020, 2021, and he had 288 this season. So he crossed that mm-hmm. out. Uh, he beat that. So, you know, just a really awesome year for Buddy Heald. And I think the fans grew to love him. He talked about how it felt like this was home for him. And I, I kind of agree. Like, I think he fits this team and what they're trying to do. But I just don't know, like, is he going to be involved in a trade piece? Because they do have cap space, but do they want to use it all on one trade? Or is he someone they use in a trade as an expiring contract? And all that kind of stuff. So I'm not I'm not sure exactly where he's going to be heading, Foch. But I, uh, I do feel good about his fit with the team. I just don't know if it's going to be with him for one more season. And I don't think it'll be the full year. I, I think that, you know, hey, maybe he's traded this offseason or like you mentioned. I mean, maybe it could be towards the deadline, but he will have suitors. And one thing that complicates that is his relationship with Tyrese Halliburton. Mm-hmm. Both of them are going to the Bahamas on a trip coming up soon. So they are very close. You don't want to ruffle any feathers right now. So that is someone that definitely is very much up in the air. Duarte, I, I think if it's uh, up to the Pacers, I think he'll be moved, but you don't want to trade him just for nothing. And then lastly, you know, the reason why I didn't put a guy like O'Shea in there is because I think that he is gone entering free agency for Daniel Tice. I think the Pacers will take the first chance they get to move him <laughs> because after that trade deadline, I think he only actually appeared in, I want to say maybe one more game. If yeah. That. Yeah, I think I think it was one Foch. I believe so, it was. That was it. Yeah, and I was like, why is he playing after the deadline? What are we doing? And then, like, the next game he didn't play again. And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, so what was the point of playing him that one game? Like, was it against the Lakers that he played? I think it was. I, I think so. Maybe they were just trying to put some size up against Anthony Davis and, and their big front lineup and, and try to keep them from making the play. And I don't know. I mean, maybe they don't like the Lakers. I can get that. I mean, the Pacers have dealt with a lot of uh, LeBron James hurting their feelings by, by just playing incredible against them. So maybe they just wanted to beat him. And they knew there was a lot of fans in the building. So anyway, regardless, let's true. move on to the next question. Player you anticipate taking the biggest leap next season? This is probably a cop-out, but I'm going Benedict Matherin. And I'll tell you why. Because I feel that he has the most to grow in the defensive side of the ball and three-point shooting-wise. I think this, this is someone that could easily come back next year averaging 20 points per game with a better three ball, but also really buying in defensively because I felt like, I don't want to say the highs and lows of a rookie year, but I felt like his usage rate was really high in the beginning of the year. And I feel like it started to tail off and at times maybe got a little bit less minutes here or there. It was obviously coming off the bench. I think next year you see a bit more of an unleashed Matherin. We obviously know potential wise. I mean, his potential is it's through the roof. So that's what I'm going with. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I think it's got to be Benedict Matherin. And I love the quote that I saw today after they had their excellent interviews. There's a lot of coverage on that. And we'll probably get to that later this week, Flash, maybe even tomorrow. But, mm-hmm. you know, Ben Matherin talked about how he's going to work even harder this summer. And we already know that he's got that competitive edge. Had to come back in his rookie workout to, to finish the three-point shooting drill because he didn't break it. And, and Carlisle was like, really? Like, you know, that's the kind of mentality you want from your players. And I think that, you know, we saw in, in New York, he had a pretty nice game. And I, and I actually like Benedict with a fro. I think he looks more intimidating yeah, that way. Yeah, I like that. I, I think that fro Matherin is something that maybe could be unleashed. But I agree with you. I think overall that Benedict Matherin is a very interesting player, but he's got incredible work ethic, okay? So at the end of the day, we got to be excited for what Matherin is going to do because I truly believe that he is a special player and special players. They put in the work in the off season. And I think we're going to see major growth from him to where people are talking about, Oh, wow. Like 
okay, he's got he's scratching the surface now. He just showcased how he can be a scorer. Like the fact that he gets the free throw line and shoots as well as he does already as a rookie, I can only imagine the future getting brighter and brighter for him because that's something that you can't really lose. I think that that's something that's just going to continue to grow. It's funny because I had a friend text me recently. He's like, what happened to Matherin, man? And I feel like he's just totally cooled off. And I'm like, dude, this is the best pacer rookie I've seen in my lifetime. Like, trust <laughs> me, this guy is really good. And I'm not worried one bit. When he was put back into the starting lineup after those first two games, I mean, he really took off, showed a lot. And I cannot wait to see what he does in the offseason because I just feel like he's the kind of guy that knows exactly what he needs to work on and wants to be great that's the type of confidence that he has in himself and it will translate to next year i believe it fachi so we got two more questions left and i think this is a question you've been asking our guests a lot recently so i just added a little more to it give me your top three favorite moments of the season i think one is is, is the common answer that's the nemar game winner against the lakers i just feel like that was such a moment it, it really was i mean you saw the reaction from pritchard i mean everybody was just ecstatic then next, I'm going Tyrese Halliburton's game winner against the Heat. I, I think that just like the work that he put in from having one point in the previous appearance against the Heat to then all of a sudden torching them and hitting the game winner. And then that third one, that third moment was really, really tough. I actually had three three moments that I was debating over there. So uh, here's what I'll just go with just to be a little bit different and not say a game winner. It's either that time when we beat the Warriors, because that was not expected, or beating the Celtics. And I'll leave out that other third consolation moment. What do you got? Yeah, I mean, I definitely think the Celtics win was huge on the road because nobody expected that. And I grew the Warriors game without Tyrese Halliburton and Nimhart going off like he did in that game. That was super fun. Now, I've said on the last couple pods, the Clippers game that I was at was super cool. Yeah. Uh, just because Tyrese took over in that one. But you know, I just I just love like the Tyrese Revenge tour whenever the Wally Zerbiak comments came out, like him just like getting so motivated by that. So I'll, I'll steal the Lakers one, obviously, because that's a big one. The Miami one's a big one. And I've said a lot of other things, but another one that was really cool to me was just seeing Tyrese named an all-star after after cool. after the trade deadline, right? Was that when it happened? Yeah. It was like mm -hmm. like the week after, or maybe even the same day. I can't remember. So I think it was. I think it was like right after the trade deadline. Yeah. So, I mean, that was just really cool because there had been so much like talk about Halliburton and like he hadn't played in a couple of games. Like he had missed like three weeks because of the injury. And the Knicks were playing really well. And there's a lot of like conversation about who should get in, who shouldn't. And I, I just wanted Tyrese to get rewarded because the team was, you know, 23 and 18 at the 500, at the uh, 500 point of the season. So, like at the 50% mark of the season. So, that that to me is like, I guess I could have just said halfway through. I don't know what's wrong with me right now. But halfway through the season, Halliburton <laughs> showed that, you know, this team was on pace to have a winning record. And I think he was a huge part of that. And we saw how bad we were without him. So I think that just him being nominated as an all-star has to be um, a top moment for me. No, I think that's great. That, that's nice to throw in there because I didn't want to just make it game winners. But how fun of a year is it when – Halliburton's game winner versus the Bulls doesn't even make the list. It was just like we had oh, yeah. quite a few game winners, and that's everything you look for in a season between Halliburton, Nemard, awesome, awesome stuff. I mean, I, 
at one point, Neesmith hit game-winning free throws against Orlando Magic early in the year. It wasn't a top moment, oh, but it just showed. It just showed. I, really? Like, that's not Neesmith making the list. Game-winning free yeah, throws. Yeah. Look, it's not on the list, but I just wanted to point out the clutchness of this team compared to years past, where we just kept losing by three points or less. Uh, so it, it was a big difference, but a lot of fun moments in a season where you might not be making the playoffs. That's pretty rare to say. I will say honorable mention a couple things. The dunk from Aaron Neesmith on the Cavs team. (laughs) Jared Allen specifically, that was really fun. That was probably the highlight moment for his season for sure. But I got to say Miles Turner, his two dunks that he had on on McDaniels and Giannis. I mean, those two dunks, surprisingly, I was in person for both of them. So I got to witness that. And also, let's not forget Benedict Matherin's 20-point quarter that he had or whatever it was against the uh, – was it 20 points off the bench or something like that against the Nuggets, that game we were at mm-hmm. when Matherin yep. just went off. Awesome. You were in the building for Duarte getting that big game. Was it his career high? Career high. Yep. So, I mean, there was a oh, lot man. of fun moments. And, like, you go back, you kind of forget about some of them. You know, I laughed at the free throws because it's like it's free throws. But, uh, you know, that was kind of <laughs> Neesmith's breakout moment, I would say, a little bit. Yeah. You know. No, so, it, it was – it's like okay, maybe fun, this guy's something. So I mean, there's there's just so much things you can take out of like Jordan Wara against the Hawks having the most points scored oh my off the bench. The TJ McConnell Bucks game. I mean, it was like McConnell was going oh, yeah. crazy. He had like 25 at halftime. It was just, I mean, there were moments this year. So that's why I think we're we're all just saying like, hey, this was the pre year that the average age on the team was 23 years old. So it just it just felt like. Give this team just time to just build chemistry together. And next year, it's like, I don't know about you, I have the expectations of I want to make the playoffs next year. I want it, and I want to do it with this group. And, obviously, adding to the draft. So, uh, I, I can't wait for what's next. But for this moment, this year, this was not a lost season. Yeah, I mean, this group plus a draft pick, I don't think is getting you into the playoffs. So, I, I, I think the core... Is fine, but not the entire roster. I think you got to make some upgrades for sure. Well, of course, of course. <laughs> so I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus or anything, but like we got to improve our roster to really take a big step because Tyree said it today going from 25 to 35 wins is not that hard to do, but going from 35 to 50 is really hard to do. So that is where the That's... bar gets set higher. And I'm not even saying win 50 games, win 40 something, win 42 plus. Like, just have a winning record. That's all I care about. But, yeah, I, I agree, though, Fachi. It's, it's, they've got to get better, and they got to get better through all the different avenues they have, trade, free agency, and the draft. Completely agree. When you talked about that, that jump from, you know, 25 to 35, yeah, it's definitely easier than the next jump of, you know, 35 to 45 or so. But here's what I want to say. Only three other teams increased their wins by more than the Pacers. Can I guess? That was Orlando Magic. Yeah, we oh, got. Oh well, you already told me one. The Magic, obviously. No, I know, easy, obviously, one Sacramento. Sacramento's mm-hmm. got to be one. They went like what was it like eighteen yep. games better, something like 18 that. Eighteen more games was the biggest improvement in the league. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense. And then the other one, hmm, that's a tough one. Is it Cleveland? No, it's Oklahoma City Thunder. Oh so yeah, that's right. They, that's right. Yep. So they went from 24 to 40 wins. It's a 16-win improvement. They're in the play-in game. Awesome year for them. Orlando really caught fire at the end of the year. Uh, And then Sacramento was obviously, you know, the feel-good story of the league. So I think that the Pacers Pacers made a big jump this 
this year. And it says a lot because look at our offseason. I mean, our offseason was, you know, you traded Brogdon for, for Neesmith and a pick. You, 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 you woofed on, uh, you know, trying to bring in hey, we got Daniel Tice too. Come on now. We, we did get Daniel Tice. Uh, you know, can't leave him out. I mean, it was part of the Fortunately or unfortunately, yes. He came over. And then, other than that, at the deadline, I mean, the Pacers, you know, they brought in Jordan War, which, which was, it worked out perfectly. But it was not like the Pacers, you know, signed all the, you know, handed it, cut these checks left and right. It was, hey, they very much stayed the course, said, look, this is going to be a retooling year. And in a retooling year, improved, you know, by 10 wins. Yeah. Well, that that's a great way to end this podcast here because our last question that I gave you, Fachi, was I want you to grade this season overall in terms of these things, the expectations before the year, where they finished, um, if they achieved their preseason goals, and how the players developed. So give me a grade for the Pacers based on all that. I'm going to go with a B plus, and I'll tell you why. Look, we exceeded Vegas's win projections by 12, which is a lot. Uh, it's probably, you know – Second or third best in the league, I would imagine. Uh, but we probably won a little bit too much for our own good because about two wins separates us from having the fifth best lottery odds to then, you know, potentially the eighth. So a few more wins, we're, we're stuck in the middle. Um, so at least we're not in that spot, but we were definitely better than anyone could have uh, expected. Then I also want to throw out there, you know, extended miles. I thought that was awesome, but also couldn't move a, a Daniel Tice, you know, he, you held on to Buddy, and you probably could have, you know, made a trade if that's what you wanted. While his, his value was higher, but overall, extremely excited about this team. The development of the rookies was way better than anyone could have thought, uh, and it makes me feel that next year we're ready to really compete for a play-in slash playoff spot. But I have him at a B plus because you know I, I couldn't go any higher than that. Yeah, probably because you're still mad about the win yesterday against the Knicks. I get I'm it. I'm very sour. I really am. I'll give him an A, and the reason I'm going to give him an A is because I think if you grade this season overall in terms of expectations, they definitely overexceeded those. Where they finished, I think everybody picked them. I know we did, but a lot of people picked them to finish dead last in the Eastern Conference, and I believe they finished 12th or 13th based on how things went with Washington. I think if you were to do like actual standings, they would be 12th in the in the yeah. East because Washington, right? Is that is it 12th or 11th? Yeah, twelfth if it works out, but with the Wizards, uh, I guess technically it'd be twelfth. Yeah. Okay, because I'm trying to think of the other. Uh, oh, Detroit, Charlotte, Orlando. and oh no, it'd be eleventh because we were tied. We're tied with Washington. So yeah, Detroit, Orlando, Charlotte, oh, and Washington right. finished with worse records than us because we had the head-to-head tiebreakers for that. So you finished uh, just one behind the plan. So I mean, you definitely did overachieve there as well, based on where your preseason expectations were. And then their preseason goals, they never said anything about tanking. They just said it's going to be a long year. Be patient with us. You know, it's going to be hard to, you know, there's going to be moments where this is really hard to be invested in, but just trust us. We know what we're doing. And I think that they got the fans so into it by, by winning early on that that they really did develop ahead of schedule. And I think a lot of that has come to do with, uh, with Tyrese's development and Miles taking a step forward and then just everybody fitting in and knowing the role. I think that that is huge. And then I think the players developed – Right before our eyes, Fachi. You know, by the end of the year, we saw growth from almost everybody. So, I mean, that's what you want in a season. That's why I'm saying, you know what? They didn't make the playoffs. Maybe an A is too fair. But I think going into the season, I expected them to be in like 22 games, 23 games, whatever it was, be bottom four and try to get a better draft pick. And instead, you know, they were just – they were honestly – they were too good. 
to to get themselves that low of a pick so or, or that high of a pick i should say so that to me is like you know the goal was to improve the goal was to develop and they did that and they overachieved and now they're ahead of schedule because i think had they been where like the pistons are at now we're looking at maybe two or three years away from the playoffs where next year we're already kind of excited about maybe them making the playoffs. So that, that's where I'm at with that. No, I completely agree. I think if we lost yesterday against the Knicks, I'd probably bump us up to an A minus. I, I think it's the, the, the recency bias of just like what okay. happened hurt. I'm still looking my wounds, but this is one of the more successful 35 win seasons I've seen. And I did not think that was even possible to say, but when you look at the other teams that are in that category, like the Washington Wizards being tied at 35, I'm sorry, but it looks way different than our situation. Mm-hmm. You look at their Orlando Magic, like that's extremely encouraging given how young they are. Charlotte at 27 wins, you're like, whoa, like what are they even doing over here? Like a lot of questions. And then same thing with Portland. You look at Portland, who's in that category, it's like there's a lot of problems over there. The Pacers look like one of the more encouraging teams that did not make the play-in. Especially look at look at Dallas. Dallas yeah. is a team that had championship aspirations, and, yeah. and they missed the plan. So I love where we're at right now, given that situation, just as you said, and I said, the Pacers were too good to be actually in that bottom four because there is talent on this team. There's young talent that continues to develop, and so many guys stepped up through the year to show you something that they could be here long-term be a part of this group and for that i mean this was a successful season in a different type of way yeah no i i completely understand that and i would just say this the fact that they won 35 games and halliburton only played 56 that makes you feel pretty good does if he had played the remaining games i'm trying to do simple math in my head 26 36 no 26 if he had played the other 26 games that he missed they probably win 42 games you know what i'm saying i do I mean, that's only asking him to win 33% of the games he didn't play in. And they probably did win some of those games, too. You know, I'm, I'm off here a little bit on my math, but I'm just throwing it out there. The fact that he didn't play the last 26 or 26 of the 82 games, it, it makes you feel like, okay, we probably could have been better than we were. And we know they shut him down for sure to to try to yes. benefit from development with other players and by pos- draft positioning. So. Um, that's really cool to see. But overall, this was a fun season, Fachi. I think everybody should be excited about the future, and I know that I am because we've got a lot to discuss moving forward. We really do. And this is where it, it becomes fun in a different way because there are a lot of potential you know, draft picks for the Pacers. I mean, there, there's a lot of guys that we're going to be breaking down throughout the year of, of Players that could go to the Pacers. We could also, you know, even fantasize about potential trades that could be made because we still know it's a lot of draft picks. But one of the also things that I'm encouraged about is this Pacers team is going into the offseason healthy. I mean, mm-hmm. they really are. I mean, let's talk, talk about last year. You know, Duarte's toe injury lingered all the way until summer league. Miles Turner he didn't play at the end of the year. We knew that foot injury was rough. The Pacers did a good job of being able to preserve their players towards the end so that everybody should be making a full recovery and have this offseason to get better instead of just recover. So that's one thing I'm also excited about. A little glass half full action right there. <laughs> hey, I love it, man. So I think the best way to close this podcast out, Fachi, is let's do one spin on the Tankathon machine. Oh. So are you ready for it? Uh, You want to do the spin for me? 
Yeah, I'm doing it right now. You ready? All right. Ready to rock. All right. We stayed with the eighth overall pick. So they gave the, the Wizards the seventh spot on this one. And we got Cam Whitmore from Villanova. Okay. All right. Which I'm actually okay with. Yeah, so, me too. Nothing really changed drastically here. The Hornets move up to number one. The Pistons fall down to two. And the Spurs jumped up to four, or fell down to four, excuse me. So that was your movement. It was all within the top four, so nobody else moved besides that. And we got the 26th and the 29th pick and the 32nd pick based on this. So, hey, you know what? That's uh, that's okay with me. That is all right with me, too. So uh, I can live with that. I, mean, <laughs> I just did it, it again, and we got the first pick. <laughs> oh, my. That, that I'm way better living with. You know, the eighth overall pick, I could sell myself on it. The first overall pick, Alex, I'm telling you, life will never be the same. I mean, uh, I, we will get the attention that we've always looked for for the Pacers to be on ESPN. When Benyama is the guy to make the Pacers relevant again. Oh, man, that's so funny. So the first one I did was just a practice run like they do at the actual draft lottery. And the second one I did was the real thing. So the Jazz jumped up from 9-3, to three, Vach. Wow. We jumped up from eight to one. So it was Pacers get Victor, Spurs get Scoot, Jazz get Brandon Miller. The Blazers moved up to four. They got him in Thompson. And the Pistons, Rockets, Hornets, Magic, and Wizards all fell down. <laughs> so I love that. But with that being said, everybody, Fachi, just go ahead and get us out of here. Let people know where they can find us out on social. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the pace three. You can find Alex on Twitter at Alex Golden NBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F A C C I. You could find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook, Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Go to youtube.com slash Setting the Pace, the Pacers podcast, where you guys can check out all of our videos there. Subscribe and let us know. We will try to do more YouTube content this offseason. We're going to really focus on that. But with that being said, uh, if you haven't already, subscribe to the Substack as well. More and more draft coverage will be coming out on that platform as well. Setinthepacepodcast.substack.com. I'll put a link in the podcast description so you guys can go ahead and subscribe to that to get emails when those articles drop. But Fachi, if you are ecstatic about the future of this Indiana Pacers team, led by Tyrese Halliburton and Benedict Mather, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast, sweeping every team.